0: For Minnesota, I don't know this number for every state, but for Minnesota, that number is $15 billion a year. And that's in programs like Medicaid, uh, children's health care, you know, highways, infrastructure, all kinds of programs use population and the census in particular to, to fund things. So it really it's it really serves as kind of the basis for how we do good government and how we do good public policy to make sure that we have this count right.
1: I'm Andrew Seligson.
2: I'm Maddie Morales. And I'm Emily Shields. And welcome to the very first episode of the fourth season of the Compact Nation podcast. Feels weird to even say that fourth season. Am I even old enough to have done four seasons of a podcast?
1: You notice there's a complete silence. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, you are.
2: (laughs) It's really exciting, though. I'm I'm pumped. How are you guys
1: doing? I'm excited. I'm happy to be back. I'm feeling good. We have absolutely beautiful weather here in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. We're right here on the Atlantic Ocean. It's a lovely day. There's blue skies and it's kind of cool and early fallish, but it's getting a little warmer and almost late summerish by midday. So I'm feeling good.
3: There's a lot of issues in there.
1: Mm. We, yeah, my people, <laughs> we Ish. talk with
3: issues. <laughs> I'm excited too. There's a lot happening uh, during this season, and so lots of good things to talk about, podcast on, and uh, share with our listeners. So excited about yeah. that. It is not a beautiful day in Chicago, it's kind of foggy and strange, but we came off of an amazing uh, weekend of uh, warmth and beauty in September. So.
2: Yeah. we had it was the usual. Now, here's a funny thing about Iowa weather that I will tell you, because we have our neighbors moved to Iowa from Pennsylvania. And they were just saying this weekend that one of the most interesting things is how how much things change um, hour to hour and the forecast can't really be uh counted on <laughs> like weekend, in the midwest yeah i think in the midwest in general and they just mm. weren't used to that but uh because they were like you know if a week out it says it's gonna be sunny it's gonna be sunny it's like oh no 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 and this weekend was a weird one with we had our big rivalry football game between iowa and iowa state and it was rain delayed for three hours oh wow in the middle of the game and who came out victorious uh, the The Hawkeyes.
1: <laughs> I I won't say who I rooted for. I don't understand what a rain delay is in a football it was, game. It
2: was lightning.
1: Oh, I see. Okay.
2: Yeah. So I say rain, but it was really, it was because there was lightning.
1: I was going to say, because I thought part of the thing is you just play through whatever, but I agree you lightning. Yeah. has a special a category. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So it was nuts. And then yesterday we went to the pool. So that's, you know, that's where we are. So should we fill our listeners in on what's been happening in the compact nation? We've had a, what's it three, like a three month hiatus for summer. And uh, we've been up to lots of things. What's the latest? I think um, compact 20 has had a lot of great news. You want to fill us in, Andrew?
1: So, Compact 20 is the name of our national conference, so from now on when you hear us talking about Compact 20 or Compact 22 or 24, those will be our national conferences that are biennial in even-numbered springs. And this iteration, Compact 20, will be in Seattle, Washington. The theme of the gathering is the promise of full participation, democracy, opportunity, voice. which. In, in some ways captures everything it is that we are about at Campus Compact and all the work we're doing. And so we're looking forward to a meeting that, that gets people together uh, to really kick around ideas about how we move those values forward through higher education. Let's see. We can tell everybody out there that our keynote speaker for Compact 20 will be Eric Liu. Uh, Eric people may be familiar with as an author of a number of books on participation, democracy, engagement. He is the founder of Citizen University, which is an effort to engage people across the country in learning about uh, how our democracy works and how they can be active in it. He founded this thing uh, called Civic Saturdays, which is an effort to kind of bring people together around civic texts and songs and other forms of participation in a way that sort of looks uh, externally like a religious service. That's kind of the idea It's like come together, gather, share, whatever. So he's a sort of civic innovator with a long history of uh, action and writing and creation. And uh, he gives a great talk, so I'm excited about uh, yeah getting to hear him and having him kind of kick us off with the sorts of ideas that he puts in the middle of an audience. The preview rate is available now through November 14, so clever Compact Nation listeners will go and register right now so they don't forget and they get that preview rate. And folks, we had a you know an incredible number of Uh, sessions proposed. We would have loved to have every single one because they were just fantastic work, but we have a great roster of sessions across the meeting. So starts March 29 with our uh, Summit of Presidents and Chancellors and uh, our Impact Awards event for the first time. And then uh, the next three days, March 30 to April 1, is the conference. Uh, So yeah, go check it out. Um, You can go to events.compact.org. Uh, And find uh, the conference there. Is that true? Did I just say that right, Molly? No. If because conference.compact.org redirects there, right? So, okay, I'm going to say that you can go to conference.compact.org to find all the information. We'll keep updating as sessions are added and speakers confirmed, et cetera. Um, But we're really looking forward to the gathering, and it's shaping up to be terrific.
2: Great news. Marisol, what have you been up to that you're excited about that we
3: should well, share with we, our listeners? Well, um, we just started our national webinar series. So we just had our first one uh, with Dave Donahue and Susan Moncress uh, on uh, images and community engagement. And our next one is coming up on September 26th uh, around uh, census 2020, which is appropriate for our conversation today.
2: Very exciting. And let's see out here, um, Iowa and Minnesota Campus Compact. We've officially formed our strategic alliance, so we are now uh, one organization in many ways, many exciting ways. So it's been an exciting summer. Should we? I want to add t- one more thing. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Um, In addition to the national webinar series, we just launched um, our third cohort for the Engaged Scholars Initiative. So now we have cohorts running in the eastern region, midwest, and uh, western. So we're really excited about that.
2: That is exciting. Um, So should we tell our listeners a little bit about plans for season four? We're continuing to... think about the format and try to deliver what you're looking for so uh, we already have some pretty exciting interviews lined up for this year every episode every two weeks will be a short interview along with some updates and conversation from us and we're going to try uh, a new segment at the end that we'll talk about um, so just look for some really exciting different interviews this year and as always if you have ideas for topics we should cover or people we should interview you can email us at podcast at compact.org or contact us on social media, hashtag compact nation pod. Okay. So we are kicking off this season with a really important and timely topic. Um, We're going to talk about the census, the 2020 census coming up and why it should matter to you. And as you'll hear in my interview um, with our guest, it is something I am now quite jazzed about. I actually use the word jazzed. You may think the census is a boring topic and you would be wrong. Definitely. So, we'll share at the end some of what we have coming up around the census, but our guest this time is Susan Brower. She's the Minnesota State Demographer, and you will learn during the interview what that is. Um, part of that background, and she'll talk about this too, is that she has a PhD in sociology from the University of Michigan. Um, and that's just one of the ways into becoming a demographer. So, let's go right to that interview. Uh, So I'm going to start with, what is a demographer?
0: So uh, demographers study the population, how populations change, um, and you can be a sociologist and a demographer, a geographer and a demographer, an economist. And many different disciplines have uh, demographers. We're trained in a primary discipline. My background is in sociology, and then we learn um, demographics on top of that.
2: Fantastic. So does every state have, a, have a state demographer.
0: Yeah. Every state has someone who is doing demography in some capacity. Not every state has the title state demographer and those that do uh in some cases it's it's a, a partial appointments at a university. In some cases, we're housed in state government like I am uh, here in Minnesota. Um, It really just depends uh, state to state kind of what that looks like. But most of us have graduate degrees uh, in demography and are are making population estimates and projections and studying kind of how populations change in our area.
2: Okay. Um, So what is your role with the census then in that position? Yeah, so
0: for most of the decade, I'm doing regular demographic things that I was kind of trained to do in school, yeah. and when we get around to census time, even the, the few years leading up to the census, I really become more of a census uh, booster and a, a, a engagement worker, which has been a brand new learning for me this time around. This is my first census in this role. Okay. Um, and. We do, on the one hand, we do some things related to the data that the census needs to happen. We support the Census Bureau with that. But on the other hand, we're just making sure that people out in the community and out in institutions around our state understand why the census is important, how it gets used, um, how it happens, and how they can be involved in making sure that the count uh,
2: is complete and fair and inclusive. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about that. Why, why does it matter? And what are the most important things people need to know about the census? So there are
0: um, a number of things that rely on the census for, to kind of make our communities work. We don't even think about them. We shouldn't even think about them for most of, most of the decade, but when it comes this time, we can kind of Uh, trace things back and kind of look at what the um, census uh, does to support communities. And one of the ways that it does that is to um, provide the data that we need to do redistricting. Mm -hmm. Um, In general, we need to have a good count of, you know, our population where the distribution of our population across the state, across the U.S. so that we can draw fair Political districts. Um, if you think about it, we don't really have another way of making a um, of of making equal representation work mm-hmm. unless we have a uh, up to date count of where people are living. Um, if people are missed by the census, if they if they don't fill it out or are are missed um, because of some other other barrier. Um, it means that they're not included as account for those maps and their political power gets diluted um, in the political process because of the drawing of the maps. Okay. Um, the data are used for uh, apportionment of, of congressional representatives and that's tied to the electoral college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the data are used to distribute public funds um, from the federal to state and local governments. So, for Minnesota, I don't know this number for every state, but for Minnesota, that number is fifteen billion dollars wow. a year, okay. and that's in programs like Medicaid, uh, children's healthcare, um, you know, highways, infrastructure, all kinds of programs use population and the census in particular to, to fund things. So. It really it's it really serves as kind of the basis for how we do good governments and how we do good public policy to make sure that we have this count right.
2: Okay. Is that unique? Do other countries do
0: that? Yes, uh okay. it's uh, it's it's very common uh, across the, across the globe to have a census sometimes they're held decennially sometimes they're held every five years but um, absolutely so, uh, governments that are kind of well established and in in
2: peaceful times regularly do censuses so what's Different about the process this year. I know there are some interesting changes. Um, so even people who remember it from from uh, you know a decade ago, uh, there might be some new things. Is that right? Yeah. So this time around, it's the first time that we
0: have the ability to go online and fill out the census. Um, it seems like uh, that maybe shouldn't be so groundbreaking, but here we are. It's, yeah. it's pretty exciting. Um, and it's exciting from a census perspective because it means that when you are doing outreach work and engagement work with people and telling them, you know, you need to fill out your census form. You don't have to tell them now. Go home and dig through that junk mail and find mm-hmm. that form. And <laughs> you can bring the census to them with any kind of, of device that you have. So it's really a way to reach into communities uh, where they are, reach into campuses, you know, find students where they're living, and and help them um, fill out their census forms um, on the spot rather than uh, tracking down that form.
2: Yeah. So if I'm an individual looking to be counted. I am, I guess, <laughs> definitely. What, what what can I expect? Like, when am I going to have the opportunity to do this? How will I hear about it? So the Census Bureau will start
0: uh, mailings in mid-March. And okay. for most areas, not all, but for most areas in the US, households will get um, a mailing that tells them to go online and fill out the form. Um, Shortly thereafter, they'll get another, um, another postcard or another mailing that reminds them to do that. Eventually, if, the, if people continue not to respond to these mailings, um, they will get a paper form in the mail. And so everyone will have the opportunity eventually to fill the census out by paper. But the first uh, push by the Bureau is going to be um, to, to encourage everyone to go online to do it. Um, it depends where you live though. So if you live, uh, on campus, if you're living in a dormitory, uh, the count will be conducted centrally through the college administration. Oh, okay. Um, there's a specific program for for colleges and universities and for other institutions like nursing homes and correctional facilities to kind of do the count centrally. Uh, but if you are a student who is off campus um, or living with parents, then you're counted where you live and sleep most of the time. And, and in that case, students may be responsible for for filling out their
2: form. Okay. Um, So you kind of have started touching on this, the unique, you know, higher education role in the census. I know in Minnesota, you've specifically worked with us and other institutions of higher education around this. Um, Why and what is the role that you see for higher education? Why is that important?
0: I will say that um, just briefly that colleges and universities do have a role to play to help help reach uh, their students and faculty and staff. But beyond that, they can play a role in the greater community of which they are part by being part of a complete count committee. Um, That is a a voluntary committee that many cities and counties are forming. Um, And representation by local colleges and universities would be a fantastic thing. It's one that the Census Bureau is encouraging uh, cities and counties to reach out to colleges to make sure that they're represented on these committees. What these committees do is they um, they come up with a plan for how to do engagement work that best fits the community of which they're a part. Um, and so I think the, the colleges and universities can take part in that committee work, in that strategy work. It's still in many areas just just beginning to form. Um, and then there's other kinds of, of work that can go on um, across colleges and universities. They can share the work and the outreach strategies that they have on campus. Uh, and and some of the work that's really interesting that's happening here in Minnesota uh, is that um, uh, there's a group that is leading um, some curricular uh, curriculum development around the census so that uh, prof- Professors uh, and instructors can use uh, the syllabus that's related to census and another topic area um, to teach, you know, about the census in in poli sci, in public health, in these different areas that are already um, the students are already learning about. So that's a really kind of interesting development this time around.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited for that. And we'll share that out with our listeners when that's complete. And we also have on our Minnesota Campus Compact website, a dialogue guide that we pull up specifically related to dialogue for Constitution Day, but obviously could be used at any time to help campuses have a dialogue about the census. And, you know, um, there are some interesting conversations to be had, I think, about the role that it plays in our democracy. And so we developed a guide for that and would encourage campuses to, yeah, I think like you're saying, use it as a learning moment to um, talk about such an important opportunity. And then I think there will eventually also so um if i'm correct The opportunities for students to work for the census. Oh yes, absolutely. So especially in the midwestern
0: states where our unemployment is very very low and our labor force growth is very very slow, the bureau is going to have a hard time staffing the census. It's just a lot of jobs that come online all at once. They're typically good paying jobs um, for, but but they're temporary. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really is good for. For college students, it's good for people who can take extra part-time work on, uh, and it's something that benefits the community in addition to making a little bit of, of spending money. <laughs>
2: yeah, what's, yeah, absolutely. What's likely to be the timing of that? So the, the job postings are up
0: now. Uh, okay. People can apply now. There is a little bit of work that is happening now uh, where people are checking addresses, but the bulk of the census... Um, hiring and and the job itself will take place beginning in about March uh, to April of next next year of 2020 and run through the summer of 2020. So it really is good timing for for many students and and faculty too.
2: Yeah. So I assume it's a variety of things, but, you know, getting out and Helping people get counted and that kind of thing would be involved. Yeah, I think a lot of the
0: jobs are just census takers. So going door to door to households that have not filled out their form um, and encouraging them to do that on the spot is what interesting is what yeah. a lot of a lot of the work will be.
2: Good, good skills to develop um, for students and that kind of thing. Great. So, if our members are now interested in getting involved, hopefully, um, (laughs) where where should they go? Where can they look for more information? Who should they contact? You know, the Census Bureau has
0: a map. So, this is for outside of Minnesota. The Census Bureau has a map um, that that. Gives every complete count committee that is formed in the U.S. And so that's a really good place to start. Is just look locally um, to to um, see what's around in your area. If there isn't anything around in your area, or if there is no kind of effort that that seems to make sense for your institution or for for you personally, then consider um, forming forming a group yourself or forming kind of a cross cross-college group or cross-institution group yourself, and we have a lot of materials on our website that can kind of lead people through uh, the process of forming um, some census engagement groups, um, and, and I know um, Minnesota uh, Campus Compact has,
2: has some materials as well. Absolutely. And we can link to all of that in the show notes. Um, So is there anything I haven't asked you about that you just think is interesting (laughs) or would like to share about the census or your work?
0: I'll just share an observation with you. And that is uh, the reaction that I have seen from so many people. And this is pretty surprising To me, I, I guess I wasn't expecting this reaction is that, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't interested in the census on its surface. But once you start talking to them about why it's important and kind of what it does and kind of what's at stake, people tend to get really excited about it. I'm not just saying this; I promise.
2: <laughs> they
0: really, <laughs> They really do. So my experience has been that people really do want to get involved in this effort, and they get engaged and kind of jazzed up pretty quickly. Um, it's so that part has been <laughs> it has been surprising to me. I don't think I was expecting quite the reception that we've received as we've been doing this work. So.
2: No, I'm not surprised. (laughs) I would describe myself as now quite jazzed about the census. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. That I didn't expect or, and really haven't been in the past for somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I've repressed all my census memories. I literally, (laughs) I have to have filled it out at least twice and I have no memory of that No memory of it. None.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a building block of our democracy, but it's just not something that we talk about that way very often. It's, it, But it really is. It, we should get excited about filling it out, just like we get excited about voting. It's it's kind of the precursor to voting. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really enlightening and um, your work is just interesting and we look forward to continuing to partner. Yeah. Good to talk to you. Thank you. All right. So you can hear from my interview with Susan why we chose the census topic for our first episode, as it is very important for colleges and universities to think about their role. We have a number of resources for that. So in the show notes, you'll see links to uh, Knowledge Hub and some other resources online for you to think about. That includes the dialogue um, guide that I mentioned that we created in Minnesota. So if you want to have a dialogue on campus about the census and why it matters, we've got a guide for that. Um, Marisol, you mentioned the webinar. Can you say a little bit more about when that's coming up?
3: Uh, So on September 26, we are doing a webinar um, with Natalie Furlett, who directs our Campus Compact for Illinois. Cyndal Nichols, who's with uh, Iowa Minnesota Campus Compact, uh, Kara Ong-Whaley, who is at James Madison University, and Adrian Falcon, who's at Metro State in the Twin Cities. I'm really excited about um, the resources for the whole campus that that webinar is gonna focus on in regards to the Census 2020. Um, so I think it pairs well with um, this podcast. And so we also have a, a Census 2020 uh, page in our website with additional resources uh, that folks can check out and figure out ways to get involved. So uh, an additional resource is that after the webinar, it'll be posted on the compact.org website. So if you miss it or you're not able to make it, you can always go back and check it out at your convenience.
2: Great, so lots of resources to think about how you'll get involved with the census and hopefully our interview with Susan convinced you that you need to be, Um, so exciting times. All right. So we have a new final segment we're trying out this week. We were chatting about, you know, how we're kind of all going Marie Kondo on our lives. You know, if it doesn't spark joy, it's out. It's gone. So we're going to talk about what's left behind. What's left behind that does spark joy?
1: Compact Nation goes a full bore Marie Kondo. That's (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) <laughs> yes. So who wants to start? What's spark and joy for you guys this week?
1: I'll start. I'm jumping right in. That's how joyfully sparked I am. Uh, OK, here's what sparks joy is lead certification. Just the words. You're already fired up. Uh, so for people <laughs> who are not familiar with lead certification, uh, lead certification is Uh, stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And as many of you know, it's a process that buildings can go through. I mean, I guess the people who develop the buildings go through to get them rated as environmentally sound and designed for consistency with a sustainable world. And Campus Compact this summer moved our offices in Boston into a new space called the Nonprofit Center. Uh, It's new to us. The building's been around for a while. Uh, It was built in the 80s. It was taken over by an organization called Third Sector New England in 2004 to be operated as a home for nonprofit organizations based here in Boston. And uh, it's a LEED certified building that we are located in. And so for people not familiar with this process, the lead process has a set of uh, categories in which folks can earn points when they're building new buildings or doing renovations. And when Third Sector New England took over the building, they renovated it in accordance with these standards, high efficiency HVAC systems for efficient heating and cooling, and all sorts of other features for energy efficiency. But a key element of this building that you can get points for in the process is including showers and bike storage, (laughs) locating near transportation hubs, and not having parking spaces to try to drive people to use public transit or commute in other ways. And for me personally, this is where we're getting to the sparks joy. Because sadly, all the rest of that does spark joy for me. But uh, to get into my own personal life, this has meant that since we moved this summer, I have been able to get to work uh, either by bicycle or by running, Uh, and that's what I've been doing most days, including this morning, I biked in today. And it's just such a great way to start the day. Start off with a ride or a run, uh, get the energy flowing, uh, can come in, have good facilities, put my bike in a safe place that's not blocking everybody else. And so, and for me, one of the things that it makes me think about is how processes like the Carnegie classification, you know, like lead certification, it's a voluntary process, but it prompts all of us to reach a little higher, do a little better, share with the world how we're doing good things. So LEED certification is the process that has triggered all of this really good building design to take place that's more energy efficient, more consistent with a sustainable future, encourages people to get to work in ways that are also uh, either public transit, interacting with their fellow neighbors and whatever, or bicycle and running and doing things that are good exercise and all that. So uh, this is like three cheers for Voluntary certification processes that ask us all to do better in this world.
3: Awesome! Cool. That's that's like, I knew you were going to get to your biking.
2: <laughs> well, well, yeah, I'll, uh, get, I'll yeah. get there
1: eventually. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. always, uh, always
2: where we're headed. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that is exciting. In a good segue, I can give you props that um, biking or running to work is a is a good strategy for happiness. Uh, that's scientific. There's scientific proof. Uh, my what's sparking joy for me is my cousin Lori Santos is a um, professor at Yale. She's been teaching a class that you might have seen on the news because they got quite a bit of coverage um, called Psychology and the Good Life. That's essentially about psycho- what psychology tells us about how to be happy. She had, I think, like 1,200 students signed up for the class, and now there's an online version. I think like 300,000 people have done that. So clearly, Lots of people interested in how to be happy. And so she's now doing a podcast called The Happiness Lab, where she talks about what she's learned from her research and others um, about how we actually can become happy. Spoiler alert, a lot of the things we think make us happy don't. But daily physical exertion and exercise is definitely a thing that works so no wonder you're feeling so joyful andrew um i recommend just search the happiness lab on any of your podcast platforms and check it out there's been one episode so far um and it's really great lots of great ideas soul what's spark and joy for you well
3: it was uh, it was connected to this summer's uh, demonstrations in Puerto Rico that resulted in um, the ousting of um, the previous governor and just the way um, the island came together after the, uh, the email scandal came out and uh, Demonstrated peacefully and really um, showed an exercise in in democracy uh, for for the world to see. And this summer, my son and I got to go back to Puerto Rico. I hadn't been there in four years, my son in seven, and so being able to go back after Hurricane Maria and seeing, you know, there's still things that are you know in process, but um, the work that happened and the way that. Puerto Ricans across um, the world were demonstrating peacefully and um, really with a single purpose uh, and unity was sparking a lot of joy for me and so it was beautiful to be on the island and uh, and even though I wasn't there for the protest, still feeling it really palpably the ways in which folks are saying no more and being super vigilant uh, and civically engaged.
2: That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I get joy from protest as well. That's It's good. It's we got to we got to engage. And that's um, one form that's absolutely necessary in the process often. Okay, so that's episode one, season four, much more to come. And of course, if you're interested in listening to previous seasons, we've got a lot of great content, you can find it in your podcast feed before this. And uh, anything else as we close out guys? Have a happy day. I don't day. think so.
1: All Just, right. Just, you know, keep sparking joy. <laughs>
2: Thanks for listening to the Compact Nation podcast, everyone. Please, please, as we start season four and continue, don't forget to rate and review our show um, in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It always helps us get new listeners. Of course, we also want to hear from you. So if you have questions about any of our episodes, suggestions, you can always email us at podcast at compact.org or chime in on social media with hashtag compact nation pod. God. Have a great day, everybody.
1: Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. Compact Nation podcast comes to you from Campus Compact's national headquarters in the Leather District of Boston, Massachusetts. Our hosts are Marisol Morales, Emily Shields, and me, Andrew Seligson. Our producer is Molly Altiorem leeper Music is by Andrew Savage. You can find more of his music at andrewsavage.net. As always, you can find us online at compact.org podcast or on social media at hashtag CompactNationPod. Thanks for listening. I am the podcat. <laughs>